What's up, C12? How y'all doing tonight? Feeling good? It is great to see you. I love being here with you. I've wanted to have an opportunity to, uh, to come and hang out with you and get to, uh, get to worship with you. What in worship? It's just an incredible night. I'm just, come on. They were, those are like all my, just some of my favorite songs and just getting to sing them with you. And being, worship is powerful because we, we say and we sing and we remind ourselves of truths that, that maybe sometimes we wouldn't say out loud. And it's important that we make those agreements and that we say those things and we allow our hearts to connect with those truths and it's a powerful thing in this season of your life for, for you to come together and worship. I'm, one reason I'm so excited to be here tonight because it was in that season of my life where, where Jesus just got a hold of my heart and turned things upside down. I mean, he just messed me up. Messed, he messed me up for good and, uh, and just fell in love with him and decided in that season, wrote it down in my journal, that I will not do anything that diminishes the call that God has placed on my life. And he's placed a call on your life, too. And it's my prayer that you wouldn't do anything that would diminish that call, but that you would go after that, that call and what he has for you. And I hope that tonight would just be an encouragement for you in that. Um, I've known Matt since he was in elementary school, and uh, he's best friends with my brother growing up. And so in those college years, I come back home, and Matt would be eating out of my pantry. And, uh, and so that's just kind of on the refrigerator. He, he can eat. And uh, it's just so, so proud of who he is as a, as a dad and who he is as a husband, as a pastor, and uh, just honored to have this, uh, this chance. Um, he's, he's still working on becoming a real man with three kids. One day he'll have four. Um, like me, but uh, but I have four kids: Raleigh, Camden, Durham, and Bolton, all named after cities in North Carolina. Um, they uh, when they when they uh, when they turn five, we take them to their city, and uh, they read their name on signs, and it just feeds their narcissism. That's how that works, and so we'll pay for counseling later. But that's all right; we're having fun with it now, and uh, but love it. Um, tonight. I uh, I, I want to begin with a question, and uh, and question really being. Um, Is anybody thirsty? <laughs> Reality is, we are, we are all thirsty. Every single one of us is thirsty in that we have this constant desire, this constant thirst. We live in a consumer culture where people devour stuff as fast as they can. I mean, all you got to do is survey the landscape around you, and you can see that people just take it all in as, as quickly as they can, just consume relationships and pleasure and food and work and Netflix and video games and entertainment and ministry and clothing and sports and accomplishments as fast as they can, just this rapid pace, trying to find the thing that will bring satisfaction, trying to find the thing that will fulfill. We, uh, we are a wanting people. We've got this desire inside of us. And, uh, and I, I look at my kids and I'm reminded how we, are, how we, we tend to want in life. Whenever we pass by um, Golden Arches, they ask to go there. And, uh, and it's not because of, it's not, it's not because of the playground, and it's not because of the ambiance, and it's not because they got this breakfast all day. It's the reason that they want to go to McDonald's. Anybody know why my kids might want to go to McDonald's? It's right here. You know what this is? It's right. It's the Happy Meal, and it is, it is happy. I haven't opened up yet. Can I just tell you, though, how humbling it is to be a, be a grown man and order a Happy Meal at the drive-thru and get laughed at by the, uh, by the guy at, at McDonald's? He, he did. He laughed at me, and I don't even know what's in here or what's going on. Anybody a fan of a Happy Meal? Come on. Somebody come right here, and I'll, I'll let you. I will share with you. Anybody brave enough to eat a McDonald's cheeseburger in this house? All right. Whoa. <laughs> All right, we got a concussion on the way. I can't do anything about that. But you got a cheeseburger right there. And you guys, 
here's, here's some fries. And, uh, and I, I couldn't bring myself to order a, go- a girl's meal, so I got a boy. So we got you a Hot Wheels, Flash Hot Wheels. You guys give it up right there. And here, you can hold on to the, y'all can have a seat. That was, that was just a gift right there. And um, see, my kids, they want a Happy Meal because inside that Happy Meal is this cheeseburger and this uh, small fry, and there's a, a little drink going along with it, and then they, there's a little toy inside. But, but the real, they, they don't want the food. The reason that my kids want the Happy Meal is because they believe that it'll make them happy. So they don't want food. They, they want a belief. It's a belief that, you know what, when I get this Happy Meal, it's going to make me... Let's try it again. When I get this Happy Meal, it's going to make me... And there's this idea that when I get, and, and, and the reality is they get to get the Happy Meal, they take it in, and it lasts about a minute and a half. And about a minute and a half, they even forget the toy at the deal. I mean, it's, but for about a minute and a half, they're happy. And then after that, it's gone. It's not like, it's not like my daughter is going to get a Happy Meal and eat the Happy Meal and then go, you know what? One day when she's older, she stands up in church and she gives a testimony and she goes, you know, there was a day when I was a sad, depressed little girl. But then I went to McDonald's and I got a Happy Meal. And now I am satisfied and now I am content and now I am a grateful woman. I mean, I am generous with my life. My life has been changed. I just want to say, say thank you to my dad for buying me that Happy Meal. I want to say thank you to Ronald McDonald for coming into my heart. But that Happy Meal has changed my life. No, that's, 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 not, that's not, we all know that's not going to happen. But inside of my daughter, she thinks that maybe, just maybe, that Happy Meal is going to make her happy. Um, you guys know what this is. It's Yeti cup. And for about six months of my life, I wanted a Yeti cup. I was focused on the Yeti. I wanted a Yeti cup because I had a friend who told me, man, when you get a Yeti cup, it will keep your cold drinks cold all day, your hot drinks hot all day. And, I mean, it will change your life. And so he said that, and I was like, well, man, if it's going to change my life, I want a Yeti cup. And so all day long, I'm thinking about Yeti cup. And I would see people with Yeti cups. And I'd like kind of be mad at them a little bit because they had one and I didn't have. I mean, jealousy over their Yeti cup. So, and somebody say, hey, I got a Yeti cup. And then I just want to punch them in the throat. I mean, because I want, I, there were, inside of me, there was like this thing like, I'm, I'm, I, am, I am missing out on life because I don't have one of those cups. And then I started doing research online. So I started researching online and I, I was like, man, I just can't, I can't bring myself to pay $30 for a cup. And so I would look online and was thinking, man, I want, I want one of those Yeti cups. And um, you know what this is? It's just a grown man's Happy Meal. See, as you grow up and as you grow older, your Happy Meals just get more expensive, don't they? See, inside of all of us, we, we have this thought that, you know, when I get that one thing, then I'll be satisfied. And when I can get, when I, when I finally get that, when I finally have that, then I'll find that satisfaction in here. Now, let's get personal. What's your happy meal? What's that thing right now in your heart that you're thinking, when I get that? Then, then I'll be fulfilled. What's the thing that you've been doing research on online? What's the thing that you've been, you've been talking about? What's the thing that you can't stop thinking about? What's the thing? And, and let me ask you a question. What about the last one? How'd the last one work out for you? Why is it that you want another one? 
Where does all this neediness and this wanting and this desire come from? Let me show you a quote from Thomas Aquinas. He said, the neediness of our soul is a pointer to God. He said, this thing inside of you, in your soul that needs, that desires, that wants, it's, it's actually a revelation of, of God. It points you to God. So your infinite capacity to desire is a reflection of God's infinite desire to give. He goes on to say, the unlimited neediness of the soul matches the unlimited grace of God. See, you want and you desire because God made you to want and desire and because he is the only thing that can fulfill your desire. Psalm 84, read to you. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Psalmist is saying, God, you were the only one. You are the only one who can satisfy my heart. You are the only one who can, who can satisfy these longings that are inside me. God, I was made for you. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has placed eternity inside the hearts of men and women. You know what that means? That means God has created you with a longing in your heart that can't be fulfilled with the things of this world. Try to fulfill the desires of your heart with the, with the temporary, the eternal desires of your heart. Trying to fulfill the eternal desires of your heart with the temporary Temporary things in this world. It's like trying to fill the Grand Canyon with a medicine dropper. You can't fill that space with temporary things. There are eternal longings in your heart that God has made for himself. But man, we try. We try to fulfill. We try to find satisfaction. I've been praying for, um, for you. And I've been burdened. For this season of, of life, 18, 24, I've been praying. And this morning, um, I had to be in Clayton, Georgia at 5 a.m., which meant that I had to get up at 3 a.m. And I was thinking, well, I'll just go ahead and fill up with gas. And I was like, no, nah. no. I was like, yeah, I'll fill up with gas. I go to a quick trip up at Hamilton Mill. And there's this, there's this guy I'm filling up. And I can tell he's kind of distraught, kind of looking all over the place, like searching all through his car, through his trunk. And, uh, and so I walk in, I pay for, pay for the gas, come back out, and I see him still looking. I said, you okay? Young guy, look like your age. And he's like, no. And I said, man, what are you, uh, what's the deal? He said, no, no, no. I said, what's the deal? He said, man, he said, um, he said I was out at, uh, at Kennesaw last night. He said, I'm from Blairsville. I was out at Kennesaw and partying with some friends. And, um, and man, I, I'm $5 short on gas. And I said, man, I said, uh, I said, can I, uh, let me show you something. Come here. So I walked with him inside, and I pulled out two 20s. And it was $30 what his gas was. And I paid with 40 We walked out, and I had that $10 bill, and I gave it to him. I said, I want you to take this $10 bill, and I don't want you to ever spend it. I want you to put it somewhere where you never spend it. Because I want you to remember that God doesn't just meet your needs, but that there is more in God. He has more for you. Don't settle. And he started to tear up. He started to cry. And I said, man, are you running from God? He said, yeah. And so I don't know what y'all were doing at 3.30 in the morning. We were having church in the quick trip parking lot. So he started to pray with his brother. His name was Nick. You guys be praying for Nick. And so we're praying right there. And we met with Jesus there in the, Jesus said, two or three. He's there. He showed up. Jesus is up at 3 o'clock in the morning. And 
And here was a guy who was just searching on a, on a Wednesday night, trying to, trying to find some sort of satisfaction. And then on a Thursday morning, he was reminded, Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy. You can run as far as you want to run. Let me tell you this. You can have as much of God as you want to. You're as spiritual as you want to be. And God wants to fulfill. He wants to fulfill the longings that he's placed in your heart. And when we try to find rest in our souls. I I love this quote from from St. Augustine. He says, for thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and we are restless until we find our rest in thee. Man, we're restless. And God says, I want you to find your rest in me. And we try to find rest in our souls from other things. We try to find fulfillment from food and work and pleasure, technology, relationships, power, success, ministry, sports, cars, entertainment, accomplishments, recognition, fame. Thinking, when I get that, then I'll be satisfied. Thinking, when I get that job or when I get that promotion or when I get, when I get engaged, when, when he puts a ring on it, then, or when I get married, then I'll, then I'll be satisfied. Let me tell you, those things on that list, they're not bad things. But when a good thing in your life becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a bad thing. They're all good things. But when good things become ultimate things, they become bad things. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 2. If you've got one of the Bibles, Worship Center Bibles, one of the Bibles underneath your seat, you can, uh, you can turn with me. Jeremiah chapter 2. We're going to be looking. It's page 752. The Bible in here. If you've got a Bible of your own or if you're on a mobile device, Jeremiah Chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse, verse 9. This is God speaking to the nation of Israel. And he's talking to the nation of Israel about their souls. Now, let's just kind of give some context to it. The nation of Israel is in a covenant relationship with God. Think, think covenant that cannot be broken. God has said, I am your God and you are my people. You were made for relationship with me. We are, we are one. He said, I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. I want you to give everything you want. I want you to seek after me. And I will fulfill you. I will satisfy you. And here we have God talking to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 9. He says, therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord. And I will bring charges against your children's children. Let's just hold right there. I just want to remind you. That when we make decisions, it doesn't just affect us. It affects generations. It affects your children and your children's children. Your children who aren't yet here, your children and your children's children. That when we make a decision in a moment to compromise or we make a decision to go, you know what, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to find, and we, and we just, and we go outside of God's boundaries. It doesn't just affect us. It's generational. You know, it's like sitting in a boat with somebody. And they're sitting across from you. And you're just in a boat out in the middle of the lake. And they pull out a power drill with a battery pack. And then they start. You're like, bro, what's up? (laughs) This is a boat. And they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. It's under my seat. Like, I don't care if it's under your seat. I'm in the boat. Listen, there are generations that, that, that you can't see yet. Your children's children. That when we compromise, it doesn't just affect us. It affects the generations that come after us. There are other people in the boat. When we choose to 
to sin, when we choose to go outside of God's boundaries, it doesn't just affect us. It affects our families. It affects our friends. It affects the network of relationships that God has entrusted. It affects the church. And so he's saying, he's saying, listen, listen, listen. This, what I'm talking with you about, this isn't just about you. It's bigger than you. It's, it's going to affect your children and your children's children. Verse 10. Cross over to the coast of Kittim and look and send to Kedar. And observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. In other words, he goes, go to these places, go to these nations where people don't even know God. And see if there's ever been anything like what we're seeing here. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Here's what God's saying. He's saying, the nation of Israel has exchanged their God. They have the one true God. They got this relationship with the living God, and they've taken it, and they've exchanged their relationship with the one true God for worthless idols. Now, we read through that, and we're like, well, that doesn't apply to me because I don't have any wooden idols up on the mantle in the living room, and I don't have any little shrines going on in the bed, or at least not that I know of. You don't have, but yeah, I don't have a little shrine. I don't have any little idols. I don't have those you know, that I carry around in the car. I don't have, I don't have idols. Listen. We don't have external idols, but we have internal idols. And he says, you've made this trade. You've traded your relationship, and we've traded. We trade our relationship, just like Israel has, has done, for idols. Listen, here's the definition of idol, if you're wondering. An idol is anything that matters more than God. An idol is anything in your life that matters more than God. Tim Keller wrote a, uh, wrote a powerful little book called Counterfeit Gods. Let me show you a quote. In the book, he says, an idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. If anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life and identity, then it is an idol. Just take that in. Anything in your life, if anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, your meaning in life and identity, then it's an idol. Now look at verse 12. He says, be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have, have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring or the source of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So here's the picture Jeremiah is painting for Israel. He said, there, there's, this, there's this water source, this, this, this living water source. And if you've you got to understand uh, water in the ancient culture, in that desert culture, where ideally what you would have is you would have a spring or you would have, a, you would have a, a well that you would get water from. But if you didn't have a spring, you didn't have a well, then you would have to resort, and it would be a last resort to have, to have a cistern. And a cistern is a, is, is a rock, is hewn out of rock, and it would be lined with plaster, and it would be where rainwater would collect, and it would be muddy, and it would be stagnant. But ideally, you would have a spring. Ideally, you would have a well. But if you couldn't have that, in order to have water to live, you would settle for a cistern. And what he's saying here, he's saying, my people, God, this is what God said, my people, they've forsaken the living water, they've forsaken the spring, they've forsaken life, and they've gone and they've, they've dug broken cisterns that hold no water, and they continue to dig broken cisterns. So here's the picture, a person with a shovel, with their back to the living water, digging out these holes, 
And then when that one doesn't work, go into the next one and dig in another broken cistern. He's going, you're just going from broken cistern to broken cistern to broken cistern. And if we're honest in our lives, our lives can look a lot like that. Yeah, we can say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I love God. And maybe you're not. Maybe you're still checking this out. But you've seen people do this. Say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of God. But really what their life is, is a trail of broken cisterns rather than taking up the cross and following Jesus. Just a trail of broken cisterns that did not satisfy He says, you've forsaken the living water to dig broken cisterns that leave you dry. And then you go to another one. And then we go to another one. And then we go to another one. And he said, just just take a step back and look look what you've given up. I, I don't know what the, the next thing is for you. Maybe it's graduating from school. And maybe it's getting, getting that job. I can tell you when you, when you graduate and you, and you get, get that job, or maybe you get that promotion, you'll get more money, ideally. Maybe have a spouse and two and a half kids and a little white picket fence and have your deal. Be able to put some in a 401k. But can I tell you this? If you have more money, the broken cisterns just get deeper. You can just afford a bobcat. <laughs> you forsake the shovel and get a bobcat. And all you got to do is look around you, and there are a lot of people who have more money. They have more emptiness. And a lot of times money, it won't solve your problems, but it'll just let you choose what makes you miserable. And there are people who have money. miserable and so in this season where you're going well I don't have that problem I don't have a whole lot of money choose the living water you don't have to make that mistake you don't have to spend your life digging into empty things to get to the end of your life and find out that it's all been for naught broken cisterns that hold no water Now, I'm not asking if you have broken cisterns. (laughs) I'm asking what they are. What's the name of your broken cistern? Name it. What's the name of your broken cistern? I mean, you don't have to name it out loud, but, but to be able to is important. Maybe it's a relationship or a job or promotion or sex or salary or status. Maybe it's the approval of others. Maybe having other people affirm you or notice you, recognize you. Maybe physical appearance, ministry, technology, pleasure, possessions, a position. Maybe it's an addiction. Here's what happens. Broken cisterns break us. Broken cisterns break us. They leave us wounded and worn out, restless. That's why God says, hey, above all else, here's what I want you to do. I want you to guard your heart because it's the wellspring of your life. See, God doesn't just save you from hell eternally. He saves you from the hell of a long strand of broken cisterns that never satisfy. He says, I will give you living water. If you want to know what your broken cistern is, just, uh, just, just follow the trail. Just follow the trail of your, of your credit card statement, <laughs> of your calendar. All you got to do is go on Instagram. 
um, and just follow through and just look, and you can maybe see, maybe go on Twitter, maybe, uh, maybe go on Facebook, maybe go on MySpace, but just go, and, uh, and, and all you got to do is go back, and you can see what, maybe where, where Broke is at. I, when I started, first started CrossFit, um, man, I, I go back and look, and I'm like, for some reason, I thought if I don't post it, I didn't do the workout. Like, I, I mean, I don't know what, but when I look back in that season of my life, that was a broken cistern. And here's the thing. Everybody around me could see, bro, that's a broken sister. But you can't see what you can't see, can you? But then a day came, which I'll share about later, where I realized it's a broken sister in my life. But here, I never asked God, God, what's the broken sister? But if I would have followed the trail, I would have seen that there is a throne. And each, on each one of our hearts, there's a throne. And there's something up on that throne. If you follow your affections and your attention and your energy and the things you talk about and the things you love, you follow, there's going to be a throne. And what you, what you have on that throne of your heart, you'll see it there. Now, it might be um, a basket. It might be a sport. It might be basketball. Or it might be, it might be a girl. It might be Sally Joe. Or maybe it might be a guy, Billy Bob. And, I mean, that might, it might be Billy Bob. If Billy Bob is on the throne, let's just have, we'll have ministry time afterwards, and I'll pray for it. We'll counsel it. If his name is Billy Bob, we need, or Sally Joe, we'll have a cup. But you know what I'm saying. There, and listen, listen, Sally Joe might make a great girlfriend, but she makes a lousy guy. And he might make a great boyfriend. I mean, you may see a future for you guys together, and you might write your name and his last name and do that whole deal. But God just says that he's a lousy guy. He's a broken cistern. If, 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 if you have him at the center of your life and you're trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction that only God can supply, it's only a matter of time before the broken cistern breaks you. I'm going to look at a passage together. Look at, a, look at Mark chapter 10. And again, these, these aren't necessarily bad things, but when a when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, then it becomes a bad thing. Mark chapter, chapter 10. We'll look at a story of a young man who, uh, who came, came to Jesus. They had this conversation. He was about your age when this happened. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. We'll read 17 through 22. Standing in the crowd... And as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. You ever seen that? He looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, read through this story. In the meantime, this, this conversation with the rich young ruler, he said, well, Jesus wanted his money. Jesus didn't want his money. If Jesus wanted his money, he said, go sell everything and bring me the money. I want you to cash, bring me a cashier's check, and I want you to bring I mean, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't say, bring me the money. What did Jesus say? He said, go give the money away. It wasn't a conversation about his bank account. It was a conversation about a broken cistern. It wasn't a conversation about, about his money. It was a conversation about his heart. 
And Jesus is like, your heart is what matters most to me. See, Jesus was, Jesus was not just trying to save him eternally. He was trying to save him in the here and now. And so he has a conversation about, about his heart. And he doesn't want to just save us from hell. He wants to save us from the things that are slowly taking us out. And some people say, man, what he asked him to do, that's, that's irrational. Not if you've seen Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, it's irresistible. Jesus wanted more for him to trade what is temporary for what's eternal. No. I told this story once before about how I got this cup. Um, so I've been trying to find a Yeti cup for six months. I came, uh, came home one afternoon, came into the house, and my eight-year-old Durham was standing there drinking out of a Yeti cup. I snatched that cup. I said, what are you doing, son? Where'd you get a Yeti cup? <laughs> and he said, I, 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 I found it down there. And he pointed to where, like, the kids' cups are, like the sippy cups and, like, their little cups. Like, what? I asked my wife. I said, how long have we had this cup? She said, we've had it for six months. I said, we've had a Yeti cup for six months? She said, yeah. I said, where, where's it been? She said, it's been down with the kids' cups. I go, we've had a Yeti cup with the kids' cups that I didn't know about? It? I've been looking for a Yeti cup. She goes, I, I know. <laughs> I said, well, where did we get that cup? She said, Kevin, you went and spoke somewhere one time, and they put a Yeti cup in, like, the little swag bag that they gave to you, and you put it on the counter, because I just put it on the counter because the kids plunder whatever I have anyway. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm putting it on the counter. I didn't know there was a Yeti cup in there. And she says, so we just put it with the kids' cups. It occurred to me that what I had been looking for for six months was in the house. But it was with the kids' cup. I just had to get on my knees to find it. What if what you're looking for most in life, and you've gone from relationship to relationship, from purchase to purchase, from iPhone 5 to iPhone 6, and thinking, well, when I just get that, and then I'll be, what if, what if what you desire, what you've been needing, what you've been wanting all along, is right there? kingdom of God is at hand. You just have to get on your knees to find it. Hmm. You've been digging broken cisterns. I've been digging broken cisterns. Father says, I want to give you living water. Turn with me to, uh, actually, John chapter 7 is what I'm going to look at. John chapter 7 in the Worship Center Bible. It's going to be page 1071. We're going to look at Jesus' invitation. This last conversation happened a short time before the conversation with the rich young ruler. And Jesus is, is he has come to the, to the feast of tabernacles. And it would be there at the, at the temple where they would gather together. It was one of the high holy feasts, one of the major feasts, where they would all pilgrimage to Jerusalem together. And in the feast of tabernacles, they would build these little tents they would build these tents to remind them of how God had delivered them from, from Egypt and how they were in the wilderness. And so they'd build these little tents and they would, do it, they would build the top so they could look out and they could see the stars to be a reminder of God's presence and that God's covenant with his people, that he will be their God and they will be his people. And so they would gather out in, in that way at, all around Jerusalem. Everybody would converge there. 
And the, the, it, this was at the end of the, of the harvest season. And so they would pray. They would be praying for, for the next year's rain. Part of it was a prayer for rain. And so when they all gathered together, what, what the priest would do is the priest would come down to the pool of Siloam. And he would take a golden pitcher and he would go and he would dip down into the pool of Siloam. Then he would come back with a golden pitcher and he would go up to the altar. And when he would stand before the people, he would say, he said, I draw, I draw from the well of salvation. I draw joy from the well of salvation. And then he would carry in the golden pitcher water from the pool of Siloam and he would pour it on the altar. When he would pour it on the altar, the people would all say, Hosanna. They would yell out, Hosanna. Hoshana, which means save us. They were praying, God, would you bring rain to, to save us? Because our life is based on, God, your sustenance and your provision. And so it's this huge prayer for water, this huge prayer for rain. And that's what would happen on the last day of the feast. Now look with me, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival... Jesus stood. So here's what's happening. Everybody's gathered around and they're doing that big celebration. The priest has the golden pitcher. He's got the water from the pool of Siloam. And on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stands up. Jesus hijacks the festival. One of the major festivals going on. Jesus stands up and he's just like, hey, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. What Jesus is saying is, I know you're thirsty. I know the broken cisterns in your life. I know what you long for. But I'm telling you, I'm the only one who can fulfill. I am the only one who can satisfy. I am the fulfillment of everything you've longed for. Come to me. Living water will flow from within you. I know you want joy. And I know that you, I know that you weep. And I know that you're, that you're tired. And I know you're discouraged. And I know you've looked from thing to thing and relationship to relationship. And, and, and you, you've thought, if I can purchase that, then I'll be satisfied. If I can just get that person, then I'll be satisfied. If I would just have more people think well of me, then I'll be satisfied. Jesus said, no, I can satisfy you. I'm the only one. And if you'll come to me and drink, I'll give you living water. And it'll flow from within you, meaning that it won't just affect you. It'll affect the people around you when you are fully satisfied in him. So the question. Is will you take Jesus up on his offer? Because you see what he did. He flipped the script. See, the problem in the Old Testament, Jeremiah said, you've forsaken living water and you're digging broken cisterns. What Jesus said, hey, you want to have real life? Forsake the broken cisterns and dig into me. And when I get to the end of my life, however many years God gets me, I want, my, I want to be said that my life was about digging into him, that my life was about pursuing him and chasing him and going after him and digging into him with everything I have. No matter how it looks to the people around me, no matter how crazy people think I am, I want to live a life. This is God, I just want to know you, and I want to know you, and I want to, I want to have a relationship with you. And God, I want living water not just coming to this heart of mine, but God, that we go to others, and that I wouldn't have a trail of broken sisters. I just have a, a life history of digging into you. And the earlier you can start that and make that commitment, the longer your life history of digging into God. Because one day, you will stand before him.
Will you let God right now in this night reveal some things, some idols? Will you have a moment where God just speaks into your heart like he spoke into mine several years back? It all started with Instagram. It did. Rhea and I were laying there um, in bed. When you get old married, that's what you do. You lay in bed and look at Instagram. And, uh, and uh, I have no more comments on that. But I, uh, we were, we, she was teaching me about Instagram. This is kind of like when it first started like, to take off. And she knew about Instagram. I didn't. And she showed me how to set up an account. And, uh, and quickly, like, I found, like, if you follow people, like, it would send them notifications, and they'd follow you. And so, and, like, some people from the church started following, you know, and I was kind of kind of new to this thing. And she's showing me, and I'm going down through some pictures, and she's showing me people, you know, that she was following. She said, you should follow. And so I get, so I start following, and I'm, you know, doing that whole deal. And we're sitting there, and she's showing me, and, I, and I'm going through. And, uh, and it was an accident. But um, I said, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. She said, what? I said, I accidentally liked that picture. It was a picture of a lady in the church that goes to the Hamilton Mill campus that was in a bathing suit with some of her friends. I was like, I, I accidentally liked the picture. I didn't mean like the picture, and I liked the picture. And, oh, my gosh, I'm like, I'm, a, I'm like deleting the app. I'm deleting the app because I'm thinking, like, in this moment, like, this is my job. I'm going to get fired for the church because I, like, I didn't like it. I didn't mean to like it. I did not. I did not. I don't like it. I don't like it. And Reese stand there, and she's like, well, you know, and I'm like, did it send her a notification? You know, and I'm like trying to like my wife's pictures just to see that she sent her notification. If I unlike it, does it say he did not like you? He does not like you in a bathing suit. doesn't like it at all. <laughs> We're one piece. Now, I mean, I mean, I'm just like thinking, what in the world? What if I, oh, gosh, I couldn't sleep. I could not sleep. I laid there, and I'm like, I'm going to get fired. <laughs> she's going to write on Facebook, Pastor Kevin. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know, and I'm like. Oh, I deleted the app. I'm like, we're done. Um, man, woke up that next morning. I was just miserable. You ever have like, you know, something like that? You're like, oh, I'm just miserable. And I was out on the porch in my time with God. And it was as if the Spirit said, Kevin, you can just let that go. That was an accident. <sighs> okay. But, Kevin, I want to talk with you about something else. What's that? I want to talk with you about the things that you're liking that you shouldn't be liking. You know, that show that you've been binge watching. That just got real, didn't it? The jokes that you've been laughing at. Maybe some things I've told you are off limits for you and you've just kind of, that unique conviction that I've given you kind of pushed that away. So I want to talk to you about things you've been liking that you shouldn't be liking. And so we went through and I confessed some things. And just, since just God's sweet forgiveness and just that oneness with him. And then I thought we were done. He said, no, I want to talk with you about the things that you've been loving that you should be liking. And like I told you, I've gotten, I'd gotten a little too wrapped up in working out and find part of my identity in that and just had too much real estate in my heart. And there were some other things too. And so I confessed those things and I thought, okay, that's just freed up. And then God said, no, I want to talk with you about what you've been liking that you should be loving. That's me.
Let me ask you a question. What are you liking that you shouldn't be liking? What are you loving that you should be liking? And are you liking God when you should be loving Him? He wants to satisfy your soul. He wants to bring revival into your heart. He wants to revive you. They ask uh, Gypsy Smith, who was an old British evangelist, they said, how do you start a revival? How do you start a revival that just moves, it just spreads, that God just moves? And he said, well, it's easy. You get a piece of chalk. He said, you get a piece of chalk, and you get down on your knees. And then you take that piece of chalk, you go into a room, you go by yourself. When you get home, and you get that piece of chalk, and you draw a circle around you. And then you ask God to bring revival to that circle. And don't get up until he does. Piece of chalk. How, how do you experience that revival? Evan Roberts was about your age in, in Wales. And he was in a gathering like this when he prayed, God, would you bend me? Would you bend my heart? And God used Evan Roberts to lead a revival that led to 100,000 people coming to Jesus in six months. And that revival was built on these four things. First one, confess any known sin in your life. Second, remove anything doubtful from your life. Third, practice instant obedience. And fourth, confess Christ publicly. I said, God wants to bring revival. He wants to, he wants to move. That's in his heart. That's what he longs to do. He wants to bring it in you. He wants to do it through you. He doesn't want to do it in spite of you. But you have to go to him for your thirst, for your hunger to be fulfilled. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to uh, have the band come up as I'm praying. They're going to lead us in a song. And uh, we've got a couple baskets of chalk up here. And where if tonight, if God is... Uh, in your heart and you're saying, God, I, I want to dig into you. I want to leave the broken cisterns and I want to return to you. Um, we've got some space up here during the song. If you just want to kneel, kneel down and spend the time in prayer. You want to grab a piece of chalk as a, it's just a statement, just a public statement. Go, God, I'm, I'm, I'm coming after you. I'm trading what I'm digging into. And I, I want more of you. And listen, you might be here tonight and say, God, I don't know that I want God like I should. Listen, do you want to want him? Because that's a great prayer to pray. Say, God, I want to want you. Would you help me want to want you? And God will help you with that. And pray for you. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you pursue us even when we don't pursue you. And God, you want us even when we don't want you like we should. And you have made a way for us in Christ Jesus for us to be forgiven, for us to be set free, for us to be fulfilled. And you have sent your Holy Spirit 
to fill us up, overflowing. Living water flow from within us. And God, we confess tonight that there are things that we've been digging into. And God, you've brought, you've brought relationships and you've brought possessions and you've brought achievements and you've brought ministry and you've brought different things to our minds so that not so that we can just recognize them, but God, so that we can repent, so that we can confess, so that we can return to you. And God, any good thing that we've made an ultimate thing, God, would we confess that to you tonight? And I pray that you would reset our hearts on you so that you can revive us, so that you can fulfill our heart's longing. And so God, I pray in this song that our, as we sing out about hunger, I pray that God, you would, you would help us want you. God, for some tonight, it would be to help us want to want you. And then as we come down, as we kneel before you, for some, you'll call in that way. For others, just get a piece of chalk and go back to their seat and kneel at their seat. For some, to stand and to sing. God, there's just this truth that we can have as much of you as we want. We're as spiritual as we want to be. And tonight, you've called us here to take us deeper. dig into you because God one day we will stand before you we will stand before your throne and God we don't want to we don't want to say God would you look at my things or would you would you look at would you look at my possessions or would you look at what I have or would you would you look at my my iPad God would you look at my my clothes and would you would you look at my my technology God would you look at my 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 workouts God would you would you look at my stuff no we want to say God It's all been about you. It's all been about your glory and about your name. And what we were digging into on this earth will be what we dig into forever. This life will soon be past and it's only what's done for Christ will last. So God, may we be about in this time what matters forever. Would we reset our hearts on you? Would you satisfy hearts in this place, in this time? In this song, would you call us back to you? It's in Jesus' name we pray.